is real inspiration for some of the things um, that were on my heart for this morning. And Ben, after I've spoken, I'm only going to speak for a short time today. Um, Ben will lead us into different ways of praying. We're going to do a few different things this morning. So for me, the book of Ruth is like biblical comfort food. The book of Ruth is my go-to book when I want something that's comforting, reassuring, warm, nourishing, I will go to the book of Ruth. I've read the book of Ruth countless times, and it's only four chapters. So if you've not read it before, it's not a long read, but it really is a book that is just a delight. And we don't actually know who wrote the book of Ruth, or indeed when it was written. Um, King David is mentioned at the end of the book, so we know that it would have been written in his time or after his time. There has been some suggestion that Samuel actually wrote it, but there's nothing to substantiate that. But the style of the book is something that is typical of that style during the season of the kings. And um, style is what the book of Ruth has absolutely bucket loads of. And we obviously, in translation, lose a little bit of that. But this is kind of your Jane Austen equivalent in terms of Hebrew literature, um, the book of Ruth. It's highly acclaimed for the way it's written, the beautiful style and use of prose. So um, if you don't know the story, I hope after what I'm going to share from it this morning, you'll want to uh, go away and read it. Um, So we know that the book is actually set during the days of the judges. The book begins with that as the first line, and um, the times of the Judges were fairly grim times, and the book of Judges kind of begins well. You've got the story with Deborah, which is great. You go on to Gideon, another encouraging story, but unfortunately, it soon goes downhill from there, and some of you who were here for our series on God's Big Picture will remember Sally sharing a particularly horrific story from the book of Judges. And it's a sad time in many, many ways. And Judges ends with this quote. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And those are the sad days and times of the book of the Judges, certainly towards the end of the book. And it's immediately after Judges that we get this beautiful light relief of the story of Ruth. So, let me give you in a short time a little overview for what we have here. So, the story begins with a guy called Elimelech from Judah, and he and his wife Naomi, they have two sons, Marlon and Kilian, and because at that time there's severe famine in Judah, they decide to go to Moab where there is food. So they go to Moab, and both Marlon and Kilian marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And we don't know exactly what happens, but we know that Elimelech dies, and then after that, the other two sons die as well. We don't know what of or how, but all the men in the family die. And it's quite a grim time for them. And Naomi decides to go back to her hometown And her hometown is Bethlehem. And I just love that it's Bethlehem. 
I think it's no coincidence that Bethlehem is the place where it all turns around. Everything changes in Bethlehem. And um, the whole book really is full of these wonderful reversals. And uh, we start with going from famine to plenty, but then we go from life to death. Naomi to Mara. Naomi, that's her name, and that means pleasant. But after everything that's happened, when she gets back, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, that means bitterness. Just imagine that, speaking that over yourself, wanting to be known by that. But she declares that the Lord sent her away full, but brought her back empty. So we see these real reversals happening. And thankfully, that is not the end of the story. So Naomi decides that it's, it's time to go back home. She hears there's now food in Judah. But she says to both of her daughters-in-law, you go back to your own mother's town. It will be so much better for you there to go back to your own people. And we know that Orpah goes, but Ruth decides to stay. And we read these really lovely words. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It's a really lovely picture of just such a beautiful, gentle heart. And there are many things to this which are really, really quite staggering. We see just real selfless love and devotion to someone else. It kind of, you know, would have been so much better and easier for her to go back to what she knew, to stay on the known path to revert to what's comfortable, what's familiar, what's easy. That would have been by far the other option. That's what the other sister-in-law did. But Ruth doesn't do that because she sees Naomi and chooses to put her first. She knows how hard it will be for Naomi to go back on her own, and she wants to be with her. I think the other thing we see is tremendous loyalty and commitment to the community of Israel, to the people of Israel. She's a foreigner. She has no idea how she's going to be accepted when she gets back. But she's prepared to throw her lot in with theirs because she's come to put her faith and trust in God, which is just beautiful, I think. And actually, considering how Naomi is at this time, this is a, a quote from Naomi, the Lord has afflicted me, the Lord has brought misfortune upon me. She's not the greatest advocate at this point, is she really? She's not someone who I would rush to spend time with, if I'm honest. Um, but Ruth sees the God of Israel and she has faith. And despite not knowing what it's going to be like, what will be in store for her, she chooses to go. And so because of this, we then see a great reversal. And this, this really is a story of redemption. 
And the, the word redemption or its roots and different contexts of is actually mentioned 23 times in this very short book. Redemption, Redeemer, it's there over and over again, even in just four chapters, 23 times, there is redemption in Bethlehem. That's the message that God wants us to know. So they get back to Bethlehem, and uh, Naomi's full of distress and now wants to be called Mara. And uh, Ruth goes to see, okay, how can I start to help our situation? And she goes out to glean in the fields. And this means really she's following behind the workers who are harvesting. It's the time of the barley harvest. And they would allow some of the poor to come behind the workers where they would gather at the the sheaves. Of course, this is manual work. Um, There would be bits left. There'd be bits of grain left. And they would allow the poor to take that. And that's what Ruth is doing. And then we read these really nice words. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So as it happened, she found herself. And it's the interesting thing about the book of Ruth is that God actually isn't mentioned other than in the language of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, they talk of him. But in the story, God isn't mentioned as overtly being the one who brings all this, these events about. But it's very clear from the narrative that that's what's to be understood. And you know, for all of us, God is working behind the scenes, isn't he? In ways we don't know. How often has it just happened to us? How often have we found ourselves in a certain place at a certain time? You very much see that the Lord is behind all of this. So Boaz is is the hero. He's the one who comes in and he sees Ruth. He sees what she's like. He sees her heart and he shows her favor. And in some ways, it's kind of not surprising that Boaz shows her favor and is able to receive her when you know who Boaz's mother is. Um, You may know, um, if you read the genealogy of Matthew, Boaz's mother is Rahab, the prostitute. That's what it tells us in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Rahab was the one who, when the spies went into Jericho to spy out the land before they were about to take the city of Jericho, Rahab was the one who hid them and asked that she and her family would be protected because she also acknowledged that the God was the God of Israel. And so Rahab is the one who is protected when the city is sieged, and she becomes with them in their community. And the scriptures tell us that uh, Rahab marries Salmon, and Salmon is the father of Boaz. So Boaz had a mother who was a foreigner who was accepted by others, and he may have been familiar with just some of the challenges that that could have brought. So he's prepared to see past some of the prejudice that other may have held and to look at Ruth for who she is. And this is what he says to her when she asks him what she has done to deserve such kindness as a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, 
But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. That lovely uh, kind of quote there from Psalm 91, right at the end. Boaz sees what's going on here. And similar to the statement that we had from Ruth, in the same kind of pattern it, it appears, there's lots of patterns in this book, he recognizes her selfless love and devotion to another. He recognizes that she is prepared to show loyalty and commitment to people who were strangers to her, and he recognizes her faith and her trust in God. And if you want to know what happens next, you'll have to read the book. But it ends well. It ends well. I can assure you it ends well. Let's see if tonight's edition of Sanderton does as well. But I feel really this story can teach us so much about being prepared to change, about being prepared to trust, and being prepared to take a risk. And so as we as a church enter into a new era, I'm going to ask us a few questions, and Chris is going to put some music on, and I want to give you the opportunity for just some quiet reflection, and then Ben will lead us on from here. Are we willing to trust God when we have no idea what that will mean? Are we prepared to trust others whom God will use? So often it's through the actions and decisions of other people that we see God at work, and this story is certainly one of those. Are we willing to make changes for the sake of others above ourselves? That's what we see here in Ruth, someone that was willing to put somebody else first. And will we let God lead us down the unknown path? So just where you are, I just encourage you to just have some time of quiet and reflection on these things. If you want to close your eyes, do that. If you want to get into a bit more of a comfortable space, you can do that too. But I just encourage you just to ponder these things, and Ben will lead us into prayer from there. Thanks. For those of us who have made Jesus Lord of their lives and we were asked the question, do I trust God? Yes, of course I do. We know the answer to that and it is, of course, yes. Um, however, it's easy to say, isn't it? It's very easy to say, yes, I trust God. Some of you will know full well it's been done a, a lot of times what happens when you pray for patience. You have lots of opportunities to be patient. 
and it's very easy to, 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 to go around declaring we trust God. But when, when things change in our lives and a question mark comes over them, then actually there's an opportunity to live that out and to walk that trust out. And for me, because I can only talk about me, I'm a fixer. I'm a make things happen. I'm a sort things out. And when something goes wrong or I'm not too sure what that next path is, so easy, it's so easy for me to take back control and to direct the outcome myself. So we know we're praying about the new era, but this is so much wider than just that. This is about how we walk and live our our Christian lives. So there are a number of areas around the room. Oh, is it not the right one? I'm going to swap this over because this is important. There are a number of areas around the room that we're just going to actually just choose to trust God in. Our health, our family, our career, or our job, finances, friends and relationships, vocation and calling. Those are all areas that no matter where we've come from this morning, whether you're here for the first time, those are all areas of our lives that actually we can be affected by. And I just want us to spend a bit of time just contemplating and we're actually going to get up. Maybe there's one that sticks out amongst them all. So you have health, finances, family, vocation and calling, friendships and relationships and career. And for some of you, it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm absolutely trusting God for my health. But boy, am I going through it at the moment. You may want to stand there. It doesn't mean you're not trusting in God. Or maybe, no, I know when the finances pinch. No, I know I can take back control. I can start to try and work things out for myself. Or when my job isn't going the way I, 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 I hoped it would, then actually I, I need to strategize and plan. And maybe sometimes we just go from giving it to God to taking it back and sorting it out before we hand it over. So we're going to get up, yeah? And it signifies it's something important just to stand. And maybe you can pray in front of it by yourself, but maybe you just want to grab one or two and and pray together in twos. Or maybe you just want to quietly reflect for yourself. Maybe there's a couple of areas. We're going to spend just 10 minutes on this. Um, But the question is, Lord, I'm choosing, or the statement, I'm choosing to trust you for my health. There were some very dear family members who come to mind at this time. I'm choosing to trust you for my future, for my career. I'm just starting, Lord. I'm choosing to trust you for my family, none of whom know you. So church, let's, 
let's just quietly decide where we want to just stand at. And I think it, it is important. Appreciate some of you maybe can't stand, but it's a statement. I'm standing here in front of this yellow piece of paper with some printed words on. It's nothing really, but it signifies it's another one of those acts. I'm placing my trust and my faith in you. Shall we pray, church? continually have to trust God as we make this move Ooh, let me do it this way then. there we go and maybe just where we are yeah just gather around in twos or threes praying into the new era in twos or threes praying to the following that we would trust God as we move we've talked a lot about change every now and again And I just want to say that we as leaders and elders have not decided what that change is. We are asking God. We are asking God. Yeah. For discernment as God speaks through the church. Trust in our leaders as they direct the church. We want to pray for one another as we journey together. One of the pictures at the weekend away was this unknown path. The reason... We looked at Ruth today because it's an, it's an unknown path that she went on. And as we walk into the new era, it is equally that unknown path. So just where you are, just in twos or threes, just spend the last five minutes before we have our last song and go, just, just giving these areas up to God. Is that all right?